Hebrews chapter 8, 1 through 5. Let's read responsibly. I'm reading the King James Version. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on, high, on the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices. Wherefore it is necessary that this man have somewhat also to offer. And I'll read verse 5. Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was abolished, I mean admonished of God, of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, said he, that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount. And I'll read it again. Who serve unto the example and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle foresee he said that thou make all things according to the pattern shown to thee in the mount you may be seated thank you I'm just going to bow for prayer you can stay where you are or join me before I begin <clears throat> our gracious and holy heavenly father what have we to give you that you don't already have. The answer is quite simple. We are to give ourselves. And you knowing how hard it is to give of self, or at least for us, you gave freely your own son. But Lord, for the work to be done, we need to be forgiven for our shortcomings and giving strength to overcome that you may use us, as you have said in prophecy, to finish this work and wrap things up. Because we, this generation, is living in the time when that work will be fulfilled. It's all about the timing. We are blessed to be living in this time. We didn't live a thousand years ago, six thousand years ago, or a year, a hundred years ago. We are living now, and that makes all the difference to what God has for us to do in this time. So forgive us, give us strength to overcome, and please bless me now with clarity of voice and mind that this message may be clearly revealed in the next few minutes and to glorify Jesus and in his name, amen. This has been a question in my mind for many years more than I care to count since I became an Adventist. When I learned the present truth about living in the Day of Atonement. And then reading what was said in Leviticus and what was written in Scripture about what was actually going on during that time period in the temple. That's where the focus is at. And I couldn't for some reason for many years understand what it meant because during the Israel's Day of Atonement it started 
with the Feast of Trumpets and ended on the 10th day. So they had 10 days of the Day of Atonement that they had to live a certain way. So I couldn't rationally understand why and how I could live my whole life from cradle to grave taking part in the Day of Atonement. Didn't make any sense to me. Because some of the things they said there, it's like, uh, we're going to go through. And I'm like, well, how does that apply to today's living? Which is our whole life, our children's whole life, our parents' whole life. So for that to happen, I'd like to just go over a little history for those who may not know what actually I'm talking about when it comes to the Day of Atonement and what comes to what's going on in the temple of God. <clears throat> Simply put, um, what's, where Jesus is at now is present truth. Where Jesus is, what he's doing now is present truth. And what he is doing, he has begun the judgment of the dead. Meaning that everybody from the time of Adam all the way up to our time who has died, he's going over the records and the books to judge them to see whether they are fit for heaven or not. And as he's gone through that, at some point in time, it's going to change to those of us who are alive, which changes the whole ideology of the judgment from those who are dead and can't change to those of us who are alive and have the opportunity and the blessing to change our life while we are alive. That is the big question. So how does it apply, understanding what the Day of Atonement was and what the services are in the temple? Um, we all know that Jesus is, was here on this earth. He was sacrificed freely. He gave his life, not as a fool. That was a little bit sarcasm in the song because the world looks us as, at us as being foolish for what we believe. And I'm sad to say we are probably outnumbered in that ideology. Christianity has no value today. There's many other religions you can take part in. Here's the big thing, what I just said. The other religions all ask you to sacrifice for your God. And I'm not saying God doesn't, but the difference is we have a God who sacrificed himself for us that we may live. All the other ones require you to die for your God. Big difference. Now, he does ask us to die, and we'll talk about some of that of self, of some of our selfishness, but that's a reason for that. So looking forward, we see with this judgment of the dead going on, Mrs. White wrote in 1911, she died several years after that, I think it was 17, 1917, six, 15, 15. I get it mixed up because she died in 15, but there was, huh? And what I get mixed up is because in 17, there was a, a line in the sand that Adventism had a problem with. You know what that was? Because they believe like we do. Their membership was at 144,000. And they couldn't understand. Wait a minute, we're there. They didn't realize the rest of the prophecies. So I get those two mixed up. I know she, she passed away in that. But she wrote, she wrote this in 1911. Soon, judgment passes to the cases of the living. That's where the crux is. And it says none know how, how soon. Well, we have a good idea. And the idea is to do with when that changes. It's an event in prophecy that happens. It's called the enforcement of the National Sunday Law. 
Now, that is what they're calling as the test. Now, obviously, you cannot be tested or get a mark on your test or take the test until it's given to you. So that's why we say at that point, you are at the point of the beginning of the ceiling. Having said that, too many are waiting for that time to happen. But we are also told there's a preparation time, and that's where we are. More about that later. It goes on to say in prophecy that the last, when that's done, in other words, when it comes from the time of the sealing of the living, the judgment of the living, when it's sealed, when the sealing time is over, Jesus leaves the sanctuary. When Jesus leaves the sanctuary where he is now in the most holy place, there is no way to be saved anymore. You are either saved or you're not. That's the harsh truth of what scripture says. I know in a world where love is everything, and it still is, but not to the level that people are saying it is. Just love everybody and everything and be all right. There is, and there is supposed to be, a cooperative work. And God tests us. Satan tempts us. So at that time, we are told that the four winds are let loose, which is the plagues. And then Jesus comes back and takes his people home for the millennium or the 1,000 years before he returns with his people and finishes the work, makes a new earth and a new heavens. Praise God. But that is what the Bible says. That's what it teaches. It's not really hard to interpret it. It's pretty well documented. So our focus today is before that happens, we are in a time of prep preparation. And that is called what we we're saying, living in the time. This is the title of the sermon, living in the day of atonement. What does that actually mean and how do we apply that to our lives? There's a work that has to be paralleled with what Jesus is doing in heaven as our high priest in the most holy place. He is cleansing the temple. What is in the temple that has to be cleansed? That heaven, it's a heavenly sanctuary, right? Is it dirty up there? Well, you wouldn't think so. But because we have the pattern of things made down here, we just read in the scripture in Hebrews that it was a shadow. Moses was... Um, directed to make a sanctuary down here. And it was a type of the one up there. So we see through the Bible and through history all the ways that the temple was to be used for the purpose of salvation of human beings. To save us from the claims that had been made by Satan that nobody could live this life that God said we could live. Basically that God's a liar. We can't do it. And despite being fallen into sin, God is still able to take us as sinners and still raise us up to the level before we sinned. Amen. amen. That should be a hearty amen. No other religion teaches that. And it's all because of Jesus coming here, being our sacrifice in our place, going to heaven as our high priest, and eventually going into the holy place. So what's on the temple that needs to be cleaned? Our sins. Our sins. If we look at the Day of Atonement in the history of the world, and the Israelites, that's what that was all about. So we want to look at that in a little more detail. <clears throat> the service that we just read about on earth is a small scale of what is actually going on in heaven. 
And verse 5 is, is where I want to focus on this part. Notice the service in heaven and the one here on earth. We seem to always forget, but we always focus on what Jesus is doing. Now I want to focus on what we're supposed to be doing in the cooperative work of what Jesus is doing there and what we're supposed to be doing with him down here. Where do we think we could find that? In the history of the Israelites. What were they doing in that 10-day period? So let's focus on what the people were doing while Jesus was cleansing the sanctuary. I like to look at the Bible to see what the people in the camp, which is where they were, needed to be doing as the cooperative parallel work with Jesus at the same time. So if what was going here on earth was a shadow of the heavenly, so then what the people were doing here on earth should also be a shadow. Wouldn't that be a rational thought? So, ministry healing places, um, excuse me, the most holy place with Jesus is doing the investigative judgment, which foreshadows the type, anti-type, cleansing of the temple. People are supposed to be cleansing their temples too. Aren't we told we have the, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Do we have, in that representation, an outer court? Do we have a holy and a most holy place? Within our own body. I believe we do. So the work of the priest in the camp and in the courtyard was visible. Everybody in the camp, all the Israelites, could see what was going on in the camp. They could see what was going on in the courtyard. But they could not see what was going on in the holy, in the most holy place. So how did they know what was going on in there? What was their part in that? Their part in that was they could enter there because of what Moses had written and what was going on in the services. They could then go in there by faith into that temple. Even though they couldn't go inside the temple, they could see what's going on, on the outside. They could see what's going on in the courtyard, in the holy place, the most holy place. They could follow him by faith. All throughout that week, actually it's 10 days. We have the same opportunity. Can we go to heaven? Have you been there lately, or uh, Ellsworth? Have you not been up there? No, not this year? Maybe next year? Yeah. So we have the same thing. We can go to the temple in heaven with Jesus, following him in faith, by faith. Amen. So how do we relate to that, as I said? How does our whole life from cradle to grave adapt to that? Not just for 10 days a year. Did you know the first point I want to bring up is the Day of Atonement was announced by what? I just gave you the answer earlier. Huh? Trumpets. Trumpets. It was called the Feast of Trumpets. Started on the first day of the seventh month. Feast of Trumpets. So when would that be if we were trying to bring that into parallel with our time? When could we call the antitypical type, of type here on earth and in heaven when Jesus, where would that be? How about 1844, the Millerite movement? Wasn't that the announcement? Yes. The judgment has begun. 
That equates to the time Feast of the Trumpets. Well, you got a sanctuary up there. Thank you, Orville. You see how the camp, all the 12 tribes, three on each side, with the Levites being on the side where the door is facing the east. They could go in here. In fact, they had to go in here, as this gentle uh, brother is doing here. When you bring your set sin offering to the temple, you were allowed to go into the courtyard. In fact, you were, it was part of the ritual. If I was the high priest and Ellsworth had a sin, he sinned against Eduardo, let's say, and he brought me a lamb or one of the other offerings that he could for a sin offering, and he came to the high priest, the first thing I would ask Ellsworth is, did you make recompense with your brother before I could even do the sacrifice and then if you said yes and then we would go forward with the rest of it but you could go in there is the point and everybody can you imagine see these two fellows walking here can you imagine living in that kind of encampment and all of a sudden we see Ellsworth walking up there with a lamb uh oh what did Ellsworth do it was wide open no hiding it all part of what they had to do throughout the year. But in the Day of Atonement, it was totally different. There was a sacrifice being made for the whole camp and also for the priests. The priests really had to get it right. Their life was on the line. I don't want to get into that right now, but if there was one sin that hadn't been forgiven or somebody knew about, especially the priest, their life could be taken from them. So the trumpets, Feast of Trumpets began the day or the day of atonement ceremony. <clears throat> Another point, during this time they were all called together to assemble at the temple. How does that relate? Are we not in a temple today? Yes. You know, I hear sometimes people like, oh, I'm not going to go to church. You're not coming to see Frank or Eduardo as much as I would love to come and see and spend time with Eduardo or any of the rest of you. The main reason for coming here is to do what? Come together and worship God in an assembly. That's what they had to do. All those millions of people had to go and do that. Now, we don't go every day. We don't do that for a 10-day period. We're called to do that for our whole life because we're living in that time to come together and worship together. It's called three times, I think it's in, uh, it's in Leviticus, 20, Leviticus 23. It's called three times a holy convocation, convocation, which just means assembly. All are required to come together and assemble during that whole 10-day process. Now, we don't do it 10 days or for, uh, I'm, I'm 65 years old. I haven't done that for 65 years. It'd be kind of hard to do, wouldn't it? But... When I got the truth, I come every Sabbath. Amen. And that's where we need to be. The world chews you up. I can tell you from experience that in my 65 years, and I'm going to say now it's less than half of it, I can say. <laughs> I was a workaholic. I worked seven days a week, never took a day off. I can say there's a big blessing in taking one day off. You're rejuvenated. Your mind is clear. You're more healthy. That's why a lot of us say, oh, you don't look your age. You know, praise God. By getting the proper rest, giving him them one and seven, and you will receive the blessing. All are required. Tenth day of the seventh month. 
is where it is. So from the first to seventh, we are all called to assemble at the sanctuary weekly because that's all we have. There's a couple other things they did. And, and what's the reason we come here for? What is the real reason we come? Let's stop right there. What is the real reason we come to church? To hang out with Orville? Go sing in the afternoon? It may be part of it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. What is the real reason? Remember, we're in the Day of Atonement. What were they doing during that 10-day period? What? Confessing their sins. Searching their temples to cleanse them because Jesus is cleaning the one upstairs. The one, the type, not the anti-type. We're down here in the anti-type. We have to be doing the same work. It doesn't mean I'm sitting here searching my daughter Sarah, even though I could because she's my daughter. I've known her pretty good my, her whole life. Pretty good. She's been a good kid. I, don't tell her I said that. She was a lot better kid than I was. Let me put it that way. <clears throat> I like to think some of that was because of Proverbs, raising a child up in the way they should go and they won't depart from it. She started out in cradle roll. Praise God. Amen. Amen. So, afflicting our souls. See how that follows through? Not afflicting Susie's soul or Jerry's, or Willie Doddell's soul. I want to be there to assist them in loving kindness to help them get over their sins. But I'm supposed to be searching mine. That's where it starts. That's where it ends, actually. I'm not going to go to heaven and stand before God with you guys by my side. As much as I love my daughter and my grandchildren, we're going to stand alone on that. It's the same here. Afflicting my soul... Is part of what's going on. So how do we do that during the time of the Day of Atonement when we're relating to church? If our purpose for going here is to afflict my soul, my soul temple, to cleanse it so that I can be of a character to be sealed by God, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to finish the work in the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't do it myself. I'm a sinful temple. I have to clean that up so he can dwell fully in me and I can be sealed. How do I do that? Does it mean, let's just look at it practically. Um, we've all been to some churches, even Adventist churches. Um, when my daughter was in college out in Arizona, she said, I have a problem finding a church. All kinds of church services were, we may have the right message, but again, I'm not judging anybody. But if I go by this definition, afflicting my souls, and I'm coming here to do that, to get sin out of my life, does that sound like a joyful event? Afflicting my soul? You know, look at what they used to do. Didn't they like wear sackcloth over and throw ashes on themselves? Yeah. I mean, I know some, there's a denomination that puts a little ash on their forehead. Not quite the same thing. Afflicting your soul. So when I come to church, and I'm only here for an hour or two, I don't know, um, let's make a grand old time of it. Let's have some glory dancing. Let's have some jumping, some hooting and hollering, some drum playing. Let's bring in all types of music that are not conducive to me following in that line, afflicting my soul, keeping my mind on Christ. Not for you guys so much, but more about me and each one of you, each for yourself. Afflicting my soul. So we'll, let's see. I've been to some sermons in Adventist places where jokes have been Sometimes, I, I, I left one service one time. I got up and walked out. I didn't know whether the guy was on comedy relief or not. 
There was a lot of laughing going on. Now, I'm not, I'm not about crying all the time or being sourpussed, but there's a big difference here. A big difference. And if we don't realize that, because we're not following what the scripture told us. Okay? Theatrics. How about that one? Having a very jolly old time. How about dressing accordingly? I'm not asking anybody to put sackcloth and ashes on. Have we asked anybody to do that? Anybody? How about modestly, though? How about something that keeps our mind on Jesus instead of the person next to us that he's got, I don't know, a Gucci bag. I don't even know what that is. Or a $200 pair of leather shoes, which is probably cheap. I don't know, maybe it's $1,000 that I should be talking about. That's not the purpose. That's not living humbly. That's not living underneath the mindset of the Day of Atonement. If that's what we're supposed to be doing and that's what we preach, but we always look at what Jesus is doing. This is a time to cleanse your own body temple. That's where the focus should be. Now, if a brother comes to me or a sister comes to me and they have an issue, they want me to pray with them about it, absolutely. No condemnation from me. I'm going to pray for you throughout the week that you get victory over whatever problem you have, even if you don't tell me what it is, because God knows what it is, and he also knows I'm praying for it. I don't need to know the details. So I can tell somebody else the details, and you know what I mean. Uh, oh, you know what, I, got, I don't want to make it sound juicy, but you know, so-and-so, would you pray for them with me? Because they got these issues. Have mercy. You know what I mean? We, we have that gift of justifying why we did something to make it sound godly. You know, God ain't fooled by that. I'm going to tell you right now, God ain't fooled by that. He's reading your heart. Better than I'm reading my own. Also, if you look in Leviticus 23 and Leviticus 16, there's another aspect that comes into play, which goes in line with this. It's called sighing and crying. Sighing and crying. Hmm. We'll get, maybe I'll touch on that a little more later. Another aspect, fasting. I know a lot of people fast all different kinds of different ways. But did you know this is the only required fast that God required them to fast? during this time of atonement. There's no other time in the year when they were required to fast. This was it. Now, let's take a look at what kind of fasting we're talking about. When I say fast to you all, what do you think of immediately? Not eating, right? And there's a purpose for that. There's also a purpose for fasting from, I don't know, entertainment media. Even good media. That's fasting, right? Music, movies. You choose. Maybe that's where Lent comes from. You've got to give something up for 40 days. We're talking about a lifetime of that here. So once I get victory over one, praise God, I can move on to another fault that I have. Because there's plenty in here. There's plenty in here. I've even gotten, I've gotten victory over some sometime where... 20 years later, it comes back to haunt me, and I'm like, I thought I had victory over that. Yeah. What did I do wrong, Lord? But did I fool myself for that 20 years? I guess I did. No, time changes. Things change. Satan manipulates things in our lives. Satan manipulates things in the world. Puts us in a different position. 
than we thought we'd ever be in, and that sin comes back to haunt you. You can still bring it to the Lord, praise God. Grace and mercy. But the difference is a much broader fasting that we're talking about here. In Ministry to Healing, uh, page 283, and I don't have it with me. I, I thought I wrote it out. Can you give me a Ministry to Healing book? Is there? I think there's one here. It, it, it warrants to be read about the true fasting. I apologize for that. So let's, let's, as he's looking for that, is the only reason for fasting then a physical reason or a health reason? Apparently not. You get the gist of that, right? For instance, for physical health is not the only reason, but in this context, it's more for mental clarity and spiritual awareness. That's one of the aspects when you fast even for health. For instance, I learned, I learned something years ago from one of my favorite speakers, Stephen Bohr. And whenever I preach or teach the next day and I know it's coming up, I don't eat. I don't eat from yesterday until Sabbath, noontime, afternoon, whatever uh, fellowship dinner is. You have it on the phone? Yeah, what page? Uh, two, 283? Yeah, it starts with the true fasting. I didn't hear you. He's asking what chapter? 21. Oh, yeah, 21, page 283. Uh, what is the true fasting. And the reason for that spiritual mental clarity is so that we can be in tune with the work that Jesus is doing in the most holy places, our high priest. Just let me know when you get there. I need to be in tune because I need to know what's going on in me and what I need to clean. What I need to do to be in line with that work. He's cleaning the temple, the sanctuary, yet I'm going to clean my, my body up. If I have sin here and I didn't put it on the temple, I'm stuck with that sin. It's a very solemn time. It's a cooperative work. So to tune that radio and fine-tune my body, I need to have mental clarity. Right? I need to have spiritual clarity. Spiritually, things are spiritually discerned, right? It's a cooperative work. Jesus can't save me unless I cooperate with him. Amen. There's something for me to do or I can't be saved. I could be lost. You don't think that's true? Oh, it's not in the Bible. Yeah, it is. Remember, remember when the Christians come up to him and they say, Jesus, we did all these things in your name. And he's like, look, I, I, I fed the poor. I went out and ministered to people. I changed people's tires. I did all these things. I gave Bible studies even. What does he say to him? The saddest words I've ever heard. Depart from me, I don't know you. That's just, wow. Can you imagine that? Being told that from Jesus? It's a cooperative work. Cannot be done. Can't find it, huh? No, I can't find anything that says true fasting. Oh, okay. What's the page? Two, 283. I was supposed to bring that book and look it up, and I forgot. They found diet. Huh? Okay. <coughs> Putting sin away. 
sympathizing by faith with the work that's going on in the Holy of Holies. Sympathizing by faith, just like the Hebrews did with Jesus as he cleansed the temple. A work that has to be done in us with the Holy Spirit, and then we ask for strength from him to overcome. There's no other way to do it, is there, sis? I can't do it. I failed 65 years old, over, and I'm still a failure. Even I feel more of a failure now than I did 25 years ago after I was in the faith 10 years. The closer I get to Christ and the more I look at what he's doing and the more I allow his spirit to work in me, Nadine, I'm not ready yet. It's an inside joke we had years ago. Are we ready yet? I'm not, I don't feel ready. That's not always a bad thing. Don't let Satan heap all those coals on you because you realize that about yourself. Okay? Don't let him jump on that. Because part of the sighing and crying that we just talked about, which is part of this, is not just for the sins in East Hartford or the sins in Russia. It's for the sins right here in this building. You found it? Give her a microphone. She's going to give you a mic. Thank you. The true fasting, which should be recommended to all, is abstinence from every stimulating kind of food and the proper use of wholesome, simple food, which God has provided in abundance. Men need to think less of what they shall eat and drink of temporal food, and much more in regard to the food from heaven that will give tone and vitality to the whole religious experience. Amen. I, I read it, and I was supposed to pull it out of the book, and I, I apologize. But thank you, sis, for finding that. Huh? 283. Oh, medical ministry. Okay. It wasn't. Okay. Medical ministry. I'm sorry. It's been a rough week. I'm not trying to make excuses. I had to finish this thing in my truck early this morning before I went home for quiet time. Okay, so fasting is not about not eating at all. Fasting is about a health reform of what we should eat. Non-stimulating food. Not spending a lot of time waking up these big elaborate meals, fancy meals. They can still be fancy, right, Chef? Yeah. They can be simple. In fact, there's a promo here for our cooking classes. We're scheduling six of them from hopefully July 4th to the end of the summer. And we'll have more. Simply preparation. Because you're eating foods that will keep your body temple clean, cleansed, as Jesus is cleaning the temple there. That's the kind of fast we're talking about, not, not eating at all, period. Although there is times when that is needed. Okay? And since our whole life is in that period, there may be a time when that is. Like I said, when I teach and preach, and I know I'm going to teach Sabbath school, I try not to eat at least 12 hours before. So before sundown on Sabbath, I stop eating. I don't eat again until after lunch. I find I can sing better. I find I'm clearer. I find everything works better. And then I was listening to Pastor Bohr, and he said the same thing. I was like, huh, good deal. Has anybody ever looked at Isaiah 58? Isaiah 58, do you know the whole chapter is about the Day of Atonement? Talking about everything that we should be doing during the Day of Atonement. The whole chapter. Telling us what God's people should be doing. Including Sabbath observance. 
because we're called not to do any work. Well, the clarification of it is called not to do our own work. Doesn't mean we shouldn't be doing God's work. It doesn't mean we should wait home for a paycheck because we're not supposed to work at all either. But there's a difference between working at a job and then doing all of our own pleasures with the money we make from the job instead of doing the work that God called us to do. His work, not our work. If I do my work, it tends to be selfish. Unfortunately, it tends to be selfish. If I'm doing his work, it's never selfish. Jesus was never selfish. Amen. Actually, I'm going to go to Isaiah 58 for a moment. Just, I said I was going to shorten it so that, and I still intend to do that, and I am doing that, but we have to read some scripture that are just talking about it. Isaiah. 58. I'm going to read you a couple verses, just a, six and seven. Is this not the fast that I have chosen to loose the bonds of wickedness to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, that you um, bring to your house the poor who are cast out? And that house could be church, by the way. When you see the naked, that you cover him, and not hide yourself from your own flesh, You see the difference? This is the kind of fasting he's talking about. We too often limit it to just fasting for our health. Again, nothing wrong with that. It's called practical godliness. That's what it's called. Fasting for practical godliness. That's what the fasting in the Day of Atonement is. Reaching out to those in need. Yes. It's also to do with food. No stimulating food, remember? Eat simply and healthily. To be clear. To not be fooled by the lies of the world. Who's the big liar? Who's the father of lies? You want to, you want to worship Lucifer? There's many that do that. And they have a lot of power in this world. But they are not all powerful. Our God is all powerful. There's a parable, many of us know, of the sheeps and the goats. It's in Matthew 26, 25. If we take it to another level, I want to talk about something else quickly here. The sin of omission, to go with what I just said before I go there. Do you know what the sin of omission is? It's a sin to do bad things, right, Yvonne? Yes, there is a sin to doing bad things. Well, what is, yeah, what is the sin of omission? It's not doing the good things we're told we should do. You know, just talking about them. That's a sin too. All sin is equal in God's book. If we're really Christians during a time of day of practical godliness, means that when we have something going on at church or we have an outreach, we're not going to judge you if you can't go. There's things in life, the reasons why you can't, everybody can't go all the time. Or there's reasons why you should bring people. And, and many of you are doing that. I'm not saying you're not. But if we don't do what we know we should do and what the Holy Spirit is telling us to do, then what happens? 
We grieve the Holy Spirit. Is there any greater sin than that? That is the unpardonable sin, you know. So the sin of omission is just as real as doing something but wrong or against God's guidelines, especially for us in this time of the Day of Atonement. It's more real now than ever because we're not going to be judged when we're dead, I pray. Some of us might be. There's some of us that we talked about earlier in our prayer time that very well could be um, gone to sleep within the next year or less or maybe two years. I pray none of us here. I pray not even those people. But I know that God puts people to sleep for his purpose. Because he knows and he'd rather put them to sleep and save them than let them go on and be lost. This is the loving God we serve. But the Day of Atonement is about that. It's a sin either way. Either doing something rightly or not doing something rightly. The part abstaining from work I kind of covered. Some may like that idea, but our work is not the same. The Bible says we can work six days, so that means we, we can't take the day off and go on vacation, Eduardo. We just not work again and expect God to take care of us. But it does mean what we do with our time outside of that, what we do with our resources that he's blessed us with, we should utilize those for the cause of practical godliness, practical godly living. In Leviticus 23, 28 and 30, let's just go there quick because it, it's got some strong words. Uh, it's not because I like to say these things. I didn't write them. But I'm going to tell you, they cut to my heart because I'm just as guilty as everyone here. In fact, when you get ordained as an elder and there's some elders sitting out here, when I read stuff on being ordained as an elder, I was like, man, do I really want that? Seriously. Now you're responsible for more. Are you a brother's keeper? Yeah. I don't want to ever get up here and lie. Not knowingly for sure or not any other way. Believe me, I've prayed many times. There's got to be someone better than me, Lord. I'm a sinner. I can't believe you're choosing me. Give me a break, Lord. Really? Kind of like Moses, I can't speak. <laughs> like you said before, Orville. Um, it's only by the grace of God I'm able to speak up here, by the way. But the fourth commandment says we should work six days and take one off. Rest not from his work. No rest from his work. Even at work, can we witness at work? We can do that a little bit. We've got to be careful sometimes in this world. Some jobs you can witness more than others, right? Some of us are lucky enough to have our own thing, and we can witness a lot more. And that's where God wants us to be in the country, living what? As our own employer, working for ourselves. So we have that freedom. Has anybody noticed lately how them freedoms are kind of crunching us a little bit? Especially when you work for somebody else? But here in Leviticus 28.30. And you shall do no work on the same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted of soul on that same day, he shall be cut off from his people. Wow. That's heavy duty. I don't want to be cut off. It goes further, if you don't think that's hard enough. Believe me, these things are done out of love for you, though. God's love. Don't inject my interpretation of love there, because I am not capable. 
If I cut you off, it's because of my faulty love. I'm not taking that responsibility. But it goes further in the next verse. For any person who is not afflicted of soul on that same day, he shall be cut off from his people. Okay, reiterating that. Look what happens next in the next verse. And any person who does not work on that same day, meaning that person I will destroy from among his people. Not just cut off. You know, like some of the people shun you and they all turn your back. That's maybe harsh enough. Now he's saying he'll destroy you if you don't do his work, practical godliness. There'll be some that are cut off and there'll be some that are found wanting. We're told that. I pray none of us here or anybody we know are in that group. It's our job to make sure there's less of them in that group. Do you know that's the one thing we can do for God to, re to, 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 to help his pain? Because there's, there's going to come a day when we will forget those. Jesus will never forget anybody. So if we want to help Jesus suffering for eternity, let's see how many souls we can save. And show them by living this up to this message that we have. We've been blessed with. There's no other denomination that has the interpretation of the 2300 days. There's some that are very similar, and I've read some that are really cool. Really good, really close. But they're not the same. They're not the same. I will destroy them from among my people. Wow. Anybody want to be destroyed? You'd have to be a masochist or some kind of, I don't even know what the word would be for, demonicated person. So most have probably heard it's not possible to overcome sin. Anybody heard that message these days anywhere, anywhere around in the last how many years? I got blasted 20 years ago for saying we could be perfect. It's a lie. Most have probably heard it is not possible to overcome sin in this life. We'll just keep on sinning until Jesus comes and he gives us a new body. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's not what Spirit of Prophecy teaches. We just went through it. The Day of Atonement proves that's wrong. Because what you are really saying is then, all things are not possible. Oh, wait. I think it reads this way. Doesn't it, Orville? All things Some things are possible with the Lord, right? What we're really saying then, if we don't believe that, is that your body, your flesh, is stronger than God. To give you victory over it. I thought all things were possible with God. Didn't Jesus come to live that life to show us it could be done? Isn't he our great example? So it's a lie. We may be weak in the flesh. But God is still stronger than the flesh. We can become overcomers. Praise God. Amen. I mean, you guys should be out of your seats on that one. Especially in this time. If you lived a thousand years ago, I expect you to be asleep. But right now, we should be like, wow, I can be an overcomer. You know what? When we, when we talk like that and we're talking to someone who doesn't know nothing, we're like, yeah, I guess I can be an overcomer. It doesn't make me want to go to your church. You know, did you see that Super Bowl, Eduardo? Wasn't it awesome? How about that soccer game? Now I'm wishing I saw it. Seriously. We have to be a practical godliness in our life during the Day of Atonement. But that doesn't mean we can't be 
excited about what Jesus can do for us and what he can do for them. The world's waiting to hear this message. Can you, can you wait to tell it? You know, we're waiting. A lot of things are happening in this world, and it's like, whoa. My daughter's sitting right there. I'm sure if I asked her honestly, 20, 30 years ago, she probably thought I was a little bit weird. Yep. Still do. Huh? Still do. <laughs> But she confessed to somebody, my wife said, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's more truth to what dad's been saying than false. Because I always say one thing, right, Sarah? Truth can afford to be fair. You just got to be patient. Truth will be known. I'm not lying to you. Don't believe me today. You'll come to me probably, I just tell them, look, remember, I told you this. Ten years from now, when you get to that point, come and tell me. Come see me. You're going to say, oh, Frank said this. He's not stupid. No, what I'm saying is God has the answers. Amen. Amen. All things are possible, God, not just some things, including victory over sin in our own body. That's what the Day of Atonement is all about. If we do what Israel was doing during that time. We read from Hebrews 12, uh, 8. In Hebrews 12, it talks about what this is all about. Can I, can I get victory over sin? Can I stand before God, Orville, without victory over sin? If he used to show up here today. Huh? Not without a mediator. But when I'm meeting my mediator, who's my judge, and my jury, and my... <laughs> I have to have sin out of my life. When Jesus comes back, we're not going to be hiding in the rocks. Because we can't look at Jesus. We're gonna, we hopefully are going to be like, we've been waiting for you. Thank God you're here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. I've been waiting for you. This life is really beginning to wear me down. Maybe it's just because I'm getting a little older. Remember this. Sinning is not a state, but a choice. It's not a state. If we believe it's a state, we're going back to the other theology where we can't have victory over, over sin. We're going to wait for God to come. We'll live in our sins until then. Don't do that, folks. Don't even think about doing that. You will be lost. Because the message is clear. You can have victory over it now. And let's not get it wrong. We need to gain victory with Jesus, with Christ today, who gives us our strength, and that's what Jesus came to do. Not only did he come and do it, he came to show us how it's done. Did he use any power we don't have available? No. So he came to show us what God's character really was, and he came to show us that we can have be restored to what we lost. Wow. That's a salvation message. No other religion can give you that. Very few Christian religions can give you that. But the Bible can, and Jesus can. Restoring God's character in us. That's what the Day of Atonement's all about. To restore in us the character of God is twofold. Then we will be true witnesses for God in this world. There won't be any sight of Orville and Frank in there. You know, mixed up in that. We, we do all this good work and then Orville and Frank come out. I'm using Orville and I because we can. Then you see a glimpse of Orville and Frank and like, that whole message has just lost its flavor. That's what happens when a little bit of us mixes with, with God. We've got to get rid of it all. Preparation time is now. 
This generation will stand before Jesus when he returns. Hebrews 12, 14 through 16 and 28, 29 talks about all different ways of holiness, which is, isn't God holy? Who alone is holy? How can I be holy then, sister? How can I, Sister Byron, how can I get to be holy? I can't unless God is in me. My temple's got to be clean so he can dwell in me. And then I can have holiness because it comes from God. It never comes from me. But I got to be empty of self. Let's not be like Esau. Remember the story of Esau? Powerful message there. Can you imagine giving up your birthright for one meal? Do you feel like giving up all God's have for you in heaven just for the sake of a temperate situation, whatever it may be? I'd rather starve. As hard as it is to say that, I, don't, I like to eat. I'm Italian. I eat with both hands, if I can. <laughs> I like to eat. I'd rather give it all up. And I could lose a few pounds in doing that. I'm wrapping it up. Holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. We can't get it unless we go through the process which you just talked about through the Day of Atonement. Let me read you a couple statements in closing. Hmm. Actually, yeah, closing. <laughs> uh, it, looks, it looks longer because I had to write them out. I didn't want to. Okay. From the Holy of Holies, there goes, this comes from Maranatha, page 249. From the Holy of Holies, there goes on the grand work of <clears throat> instruction. The angels of God are communicating to men. The key question is this, though. What are they communicating to us? Christ officiates in the sanctuary. We do not follow him into the sanctuary as we should. Christ and angels work in the hearts of the children of men. The church above, united with the church below, is warring the good warfare upon earth. There must be a purifying of the, um, purifying of the seal here upon earth in harmony with Christ, cleansing of the sanctuaries together, both in one in heaven and one here, and one in our own person. Spirit of prophecy. That's the only way it can happen. Manuscript 15, 19, uh, excuse me, 1886, page 2. Godliness, sobriety, and consistency will characterize the life and example of every, is that every or some? Every true Christian. The work which Christ is doing in the sanctuary above will engage the thoughts and be the burden of conversation because by faith, he, the word here means uh, he, meaning Christ, means his people, he and his people, has entered into the sanctuary. So we entered in him by faith, doing the same work, following him as he does his work. He is on earth, but his, meaning us, we are on earth, but his sympathies, our sympathies are in harmony with the work Christ is doing in heaven. Christ is cleansing the heavenly sanctuary from the sins of the people, and it is the work of all who are laborers together with God to be cleansing the sanctuary of the soul from everything that is offensive to him, everything like evil surmising, envy, jealousy, enmity, Hatred, 
will we put away. For such things grieve the Holy Spirit, unpardonable sin, of God and put Christ to open shame. You want to put Christ to open shame? I know none of you do. I think sometimes we get caught up and we do it and then we realize and we're feeling very sorry about it, speaking for myself. The love of self will not exist, nor will any engage in this work be puffed up. The example of Christ's life, the consistency of his character will make his influence far-reaching. He will be a living epistle known and read of all men. You want to be a witness for God? There's the easiest way. You do two, kill two birds with one stone, as I said. Clean up your own life. Get sin removed from your life. Be ready and prepared to be sealed. And that alone will make an impact on people. It won't cost a dime. But it may cost you your life. We can and will gain the victory and stand before God. Some of us. I pray all of us. When I say some of us, I mean some of us worldwide. There's a lot of people out there that don't have this message. If we work with the Holy Spirit, with Christ, work in the sanctuary. If, let me read it again. If we work with the Holy Spirit and with Christ in the work in the sanctuary, it will happen. Sometimes we focus on what Jesus is doing more and forget about what we're supposed to be doing as I said earlier, in the camp cooperation with the work of atonement, he's cleansing the sanctuary. He's cleansing the sanctuary from our sins. We also need to be cleansing our soul at the same time. Too much time looking at others and what they need to clean up in their life. That doesn't help me clean up to point my finger at you and say how bad you are. That doesn't do anything to make me better when I'm standing before God in this context. In fact, it makes me worse. Remember what I read up there? All the things we got to put away. The work is an individual work by faith, and then we enter in with Christ, with his work. The question is, who can stand? We can. I'm not going to go into the word stand. There's many ways we can look at that. Um, what standing means. But suffice, suffice to say, we don't want to fall, right? What's the opposite of standing? Falling? Revelation 14, 1 through 5, it talks about the character is explained there of those who are sighing crying. And those are who are sighing crying who are sealed. And they get to sing the song of the experience of all. But all may know the words but they didn't live the experience. Who knows it better than you? If you've gone through something, who, that's why it's, it's, it's easy to witness to an alcoholic if you're an alcoholic. You can't say to me, well, you never were a drunk. You don't know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, I was. Guess what? Jesus is all of the above. He's able to talk on all levels to all people. But within this body of Christ in unity, we may have someone who had a problem with substance abuse. You know what? I can give them... When someone walks the door, they can identify with that person. They can help them. And I can say, that person will say, hey, I know they believe it. They got victory over I have a friend who's a convict, was a convict. He's a member of our church. Can't say he doesn't know what it likes to be in prison. He was there for 10 or 15 years. What better person to witness if someone's in there?
I am just about done. No sense in beating a dead horse. We are what we dwell on. By beholding, we are changed. This world has a lot of things to behold on. And as we looked at what I said all the way through this, during the Day of Atonement, how much of that we're supposed to be dealing with? Looking at. Stuff in the world. How much of that we're supposed to be dealing with? If we're living by the Day of Atonement, what we believe we're in. None of it. This is the Day of Atonement, make no mistake. And it's been going on since 1844. It's soon to come to an end. Soon to come to the judgment of the living. We're almost there. Let's not lose faith and hope now. Let's strengthen each other. Let's realize what really has to happen here. And, and I see it happening here. People are willing to help everybody. You know, Jerry's willing to bring plants. Everybody's willing to take their talents. Sue's playing the piano. You got a couple guys here being deacons. Everybody's willing to do something. Give literature out. Amen. Amen. We have a lot of literature. I know it doesn't look like much out there. I can fill them again. Or come to me and ask me. If you're going to be giving it in this area, we have plenty. Those are the cheapest way to hit the streets with. People need to know the truth. They may not need to know everything we told them right here. First, they need to know who Jesus is. Amen. How are they going to know Jesus is if we're acting like the world? Let me tell you, the world right now is looking for something different. The proof is this church right here. I don't mean because of we and the people. I mean just because we stayed open. When the world said, you got to close, you're all going to die. You think I'm, it's not a joke. I've had elders call me from other churches six, seven months after they've been closed. And they know we were open, eating potluck and having communion. And they're like, well, we're not going to open until we see what happens in your church. Six months later, they call me and go, well, how's it working out? We're thinking about open. What did you do? I said, we were smart about it. We had the hand sanitizers. We you know, went by the guidelines that were given to us by the town, you know, by the health department, which in this town is the captain of the fire department. I'm not saying throw them stuff away. We're not trying to make enemies of the world. We're trying to save the people in the world. But the point is, people come here, and I've had people come here and say, wow, it's normal. What do you mean it's normal? Well, you know, I'm so used to living under a shell. Proof. Now, if it was serious, let me tell you, the doors would be closed and locked. If I thought it was going to spread to a pandemic where we're all going to die. Okay? We're not foolishness here. I'm not saying be foolish. We're being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. Before we have our closing hymn, I don't know if Lynette wants to sing her song or not. Special music to close with. I appreciate it, Lynette. Live like we preach the Day of Atonement. Practical godliness. That's what it all leads to.